Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, but we're going to also look in Matthew chapter 14. I will read Matthew 14 first, verses 1 through 12, and that will kind of get us the get our minds headed in the right direction of, of where we're going because it's the, it's the synoptic account of this event that we're going to be studying today. So we'll read in Matthew and then we'll actually study from Mark. Uh, but they just give more details to each other. We see that each week when we, when we compare the different accounts from the different New Testament authors, how they add more information, but they, they agree and they help us to see this, this picture. Uh, so that's why we do that. We're following the steps of Christ uh, through, the, through the New Testament, through the Gospels mostly. Um, but I just enjoy comparing the details and, and seeing what, what Christ went through and, and what He did and what went on. And, and today is basically, it's, it's a, we see a story. It's a story with some sad details. We see um, Herod and how he responded to Jesus and how he responded to John the Baptist and, and what he did there. and um, So much is going on and slightly depressing. And uh, I did a lot of reading on this because it's a story and I wanted to have details. Um, so lots of different reading happened this week uh, trying to be ready for this. But before I get into this, I just I, I want to stop and, and talk about some of the, the words we sang in our, in our song service this morning where we sang about Jesus being uh, the, the King of Kings, the High King. Um, where He is, He is the Lord. He is the Most Holy God. And then we talked also about how we can, we can trust in Him and, and we can rest in Him, which is wonderful. And we can truly trust in Him. We can truly rest in Him because He is holy, perfect, almighty God. And He is completely capable of taking care of us no matter what and providing for all our needs. But this sense of being able to completely trust in Him and to completely rest in Him, we get when we, we understand how great and how high that He truly is. And we get this when we completely surrender to Him. Because I think about life. I think about my life. I think about uh, details I know about your life that you guys are going through right now. And I think life really, really hurts uh, more often than I would like it to anyways. And we go, we go through this stuff and we might not like it, but we can completely trust in this God. And we get into trouble and we try to put God in this this box where we can, we can explain God away and we can say, God, you should be doing this because I think that you're that. Because the true God is not a God of our imaginations. Uh, he is not a God that, that we can make up to be just what we want Him to be. God is so much different than us. He is completely holy. He is completely right. And sometimes what He has for us might not be the way that we planned it or the way that we think that it should go. But when He is our Lord, when He is our King, when He is our Master, we can rest in Him completely and have complete confidence in what He is doing in our life and the way that He is working in our life. So the songs that we sang today should be more than just a song that we sing on Sunday mornings. It's 
there's a lot of truth there. Recognizing God as king will help us facing some difficult time. We can trust in God. We can always trust in God, whether our life's going the way that we want it to or not. And we're going to see the details of the murder of John the Baptist this morning. And it's so interesting thinking of the stuff we've been talking about when you look at John the Baptist because he stayed faithful to God and it meant him getting his head chopped off and placed on a big plate and given to a wicked woman from her sinful daughter. Was God still on his throne? Absolutely. And we'll talk about that in a little bit because ultimately John was way better off getting his head chopped off than he was in some dark, dirty, nasty dungeon. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, I got way ahead of myself in my notes here, um, so I'm going to try to find my place here. But when we look at Herod, we see a very wicked man, and we see him operating in fear. And I want you to take note of that, how often Herod here operates in fear, and then compare that with John, and how John responds to stuff. It's a huge, huge contrast. But Herod's miserable, and John's with God in, in heaven. So, just think about that. But we have Herod operating in fear. And a verse that came to mind, thinking of this, is Proverbs 29, 25. Might be a good one to write down and memorize. It says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And that safe talked about there, we need to make sure we're using God's definition of safe and not ours. Um, because sometimes safe is, is safe with God out of this horrible, horrible world, sinful world that we live in. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Herod's going to get himself in some snares here. Whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Herod hears that Jesus, what Jesus is doing. He thinks it is John the Baptist coming back from the dead. That was disturbing to Herod because he was the one that had John executed. Let's look, let's look at Matthew 14. I want to read the details before I give them all away. Matthew 14, we'll start in verse number 1. And we'll go on to verse 12. At that time... Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her, and when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John the Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger, 
and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. So we'll go back to Mark now, but with the thought of Herod fearing John's returning from the dead, Mark takes the time to record for us the events that surrounded John's execution. Now this execution had happened a year or two before the timeline that we're on here with with Jesus following his steps of Jesus. But we get to this point where Jesus' fame is, is growing abroad. Remember, he had just sent his disciples out and they had been spreading him and performing miracles and, and doing different things. So, so now we have six groups of two guys going out spreading what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is about. And so Jesus' fame is just spreading. So Herod hears about it. And it's, for me, it was, it was hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around this, this text, this thought to think of, of John. It's so sad to think of, this man who was, you know, a wilderness man eating, eating locust and, and honey and clothed in camel's hair and just free and ends up in a dungeon and ends up getting his head chopped off. So for me, that's just kind of raw deal for John. But then as I, as I thought about it and prayed about it, we see John's faith became sight. He was free from this sinful world. He was able to meet the God that he loved and that he served so dearly. Let's pray and then we'll we'll get into our text here. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this time that we have together. I thank you that we can look at this story, that we can see these these details that you have preserved for us. I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will work on our hearts. um, However, uh, he sees fit. I pray that He will just work in us and, and challenge us. And I pray that we will see Your greatness and Your glory through this, even through this sad story. I pray that You will be lifted up and that You will be elevated and that You will give us a greater understanding of, of who You are and how wonderful that You truly are. Thank You for Your love and Your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, starting in verse 14, we see, And King Herod heard of him. So King Herod hears of Jesus here, but I want to give you some some history on Herod here. Herod was from the line of evil leaders. The Herod that we're looking at today is Herod Antipas. His father was Herod the Great, the Herod that we read about in Matthew 2. You remember that guy, the one who killed all the babies, murdered all the the baby boys in Bethlehem two years and under. That was his dad. His father ruled Israel under the authority and power of Rome for 36 years. Herod's father was a wicked man. Uh, He ordered the execution of the Sanhedrin when they confronted him. So this religious Jewish group, he ordered the murder or the death of some of them. He had two of his own sons executed. What kind of a dad is that? Two of his own sons executed. When he died, the territory that he ruled was divided between a couple of his sons that he hadn't killed. So the sons he hadn't killed off, the ones that weren't a threat to him or hadn't crossed him, the ones that were left, 
his, the area that he ruled was divided between his sons. All of his sons were wicked like he was. So we got a line of, of wicked leaders here. His son Herod Antipas was given the region that included Galilee. And he reigned there for 42 years. I think he was the longest of the Herods to reign. So we, we have this Herod Antipas ruling this area where Jesus would be ministering. Herod had authority within his region to use military force and to exercise capital punishment. So he had a crazy amount of authority, crazy amount of power granted to him by Rome. But this power was limited to his region. This region where, where he ruled, his power was limited to there. Herod Antipas hears of Jesus and his ministry. He hears of the miracles. He hears of the powers. He, he hears what Jesus is doing. The fame of Jesus is spreading around. Look at verse 14. Because Herod's trying to find an explanation for this Jesus and where he's from and what he's doing, where his power's coming from, who he actually is. And it says, For his name was spread abroad, so the name of Jesus is spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. So Herod is explaining Jesus and his ministry by saying, That must be John the Baptist. Uh, Lots of people tried to explain Jesus and his ministry and what was going on here. They had lots of opinions from where he got this power from. Look at verse 15. Others said that it is Elias, and others said that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. So Luke tells us, the beginning of Luke tells us, that John would come in the spirit of Elias, in the spirit of Elijah. And if, if you look at their ministries, uh, you, can see, you can see similarities there. You can see they're both faithful and zealous for the Lord. They're both operating in power from God. Uh, you can see similarities in their, their ministry there. So Luke said that he would operate in the, the same power as Elijah. And then we have the people down the road in Mark recognizing that, hey, maybe this is Elias. Maybe this is Elijah. They did identify Jesus' ministry was unique and powerful, yet they just failed to properly identify him, who he was. And Jesus made clear that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh. And we have people looking for every explanation for who he was and where he got his power besides what he actually was. He was God. Jesus is God. He, he was operating in the power and the authority of God, and other people are looking for every way to explain it, but the one that was standing right in front of him, of them, the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was God in the flesh. Luke tells us in chapter 7 that Herod wanted to see Jesus for himself. So he heard of this, this power. He thought maybe it was John come back to life. And Herod wanted to see Jesus for himself. That meeting would not take place until much later. We know when, when Jesus is on, is on trial, when he's about to be crucified, he goes before Pilate and he goes before Herod. And that's, that's the account that we have there where Jesus is basically silent before this Herod. Herod had wanted to meet him, wanted to meet him, and Jesus stands there silently before him. But that's another study for another day. Uh, let's keep going here. Verse 16. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John 
whom I beheaded. He is ridden, or sorry, he is risen from the dead. So all these opinions are, are going around about who is this Jesus? He's John, come back to life. He's Elijah. He's an, a prophet of old. He's this, he's that. And Herod says, no, it's John the Baptist, come back to life. Which we know was, was not who Jesus was at all. But it's, it's almost like if you step back and look at this, this story, you can see Herod pondering and thinking about this Jesus and, and seeing Him being so powerful and He's in His territory and He's doing all these, all these things. He has all this authority. And it's almost the way I see it is Herod is a little paranoid here because he has this, this guilt on his shoulders of murdering John. Unjustly murdering the forerunner for Christ. He has that weight on his, his shoulders, and it's almost like he's, he's looking over his shoulder here saying, oh, maybe, maybe he's come back to life. Maybe it's, it's John, the one I beheaded. Maybe he's risen from the dead. He knew John was a righteous man, yet he wickedly imprisoned him. He knew John was a holy man, but he tragically murdered him. And he had that weight on his shoulders. And we see him here looking and saying, well, maybe this Jesus is John. I mean, you think that he would have some concerns if John had risen from the dead? The way that he had treated John? The way that he had acted towards John? You can see why Herod wanted to see this Jesus and find out who he was and and identify who he was. Luke 13 tells us, that in the very near future, Herod would be looking to kill Jesus. So you can read ahead into Luke, and you can see Herod wants Jesus dead. And he's going to get his wish later in the life of Christ. But it wasn't on Herod's timeline, it was on God's timeline. When his time came for his son to die. When it came time for his son to be the propitiation for sins, that's when Jesus died, not when Herod wanted him to. Herod was not repentant at all. He was threatened. I believe there's some level of fear here. Just as we get into this story, he was looking to execute a threat. Look at verses 17 through 19. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John. So we're getting into the story. This is kind of a flashback, Mark, flashing us back here to when Herod gets John. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold on John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. So we find out that Herod's the one responsible for capturing John and for putting him in prison. But I want you to remember what John was doing up to this point when when Herod captures him and, and throws him into prison. He was preaching repentance. Remember his, his message, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? Repent. Do you remember you remember what he's doing here? We, it's been a few months since we looked at it. But John was was proclaiming the Messiah, calling people to repentance, preaching the Messiah. People were believing. People were repenting. People were being baptized. But this message of repentance didn't sit too well 
with Herod. Or his wife, his new wife, Herodias. He already had a wife before this. Then he somehow finagles his brother, brother's wife to marry him. And there's a whole, whole horrible mess going on there. But more details than I wanted to read about going on in that, that mess of him taking his brother's wife and marrying her and, and all this stuff going on. So when John calls him out for his adulterous ways, uh, they're not very happy, neither Herod or Herodias. But um, up to that point, John is preaching this, this message of repentance. And uh, that's often not a popular message. Repent, repent. Because to repent means that, that something is wrong. That, that we're doing something wrong or we're headed in a wrong direction. And it's not a real popular message to say, you need to, you need to repent. The offensive comes up, right? I mean, we, we see this all the time, all over the place. And Herod responded no differently to this when the message of repentance was preached to him. Herod had taken his brother's wife and had made her his wife. Herodias was apparently on board with it. It's not like he just kidnapped her because she didn't like John calling them out either. I mean, she seems a little more mad than Herod was because she's the one that wants to kill John. But Herod says, no, we're not, we're not doing that right now. We see in verse 18, John calling Herod out. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So John ends up in prison for speaking the truth. And I want to paint this picture of this prison for you because it was probably a dark dungeon deep down in the ground. Um, just a damp, wet, stinky, musty place. I think of old basements in Michigan where their humidity is a million percent and it's just, just so nasty. So picture this, this dungeon. There's little to no light, little fresh air. It was isolated. It was a miserable environment. And at the beginning, I said, this is a man who was, who was free. I mean, wearing I mean, mountain man stuff. A clothes of camels and eating locusts and honey. And then he gets taken from that into this hole in the ground. A big change. Probably not eating locusts and honey down there. Uh, we have later on in the Gospels, or previously in the Gospels when he's in prison, we find his disciples actually bringing him, having to bring him food to sustain him. So we have John in this dungeon. Herodias hated John so much that she wanted to kill him. She didn't want to be told that she was wrong. She was unrepentant. She was angry. She was hateful. And she would have executed John on the spot. He wouldn't even have made it to the dungeon of the, of the prison. She would have killed him on the spot. But Herod wouldn't let her do that. Verse 20, here's why. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and an holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So, Matthew 14.5 also tells us that Herod kept him alive because he feared the multitude. So he fears John here, understanding he's a just and holy man. But also Matthew tells us that he feared the crowd because the crowd esteemed John as some kind of prophet. 
He feared the multitude, so he kept John alive. Herod would listen to John speak. Could you imagine this? Like Herod calling on John to, to come up, maybe out of the dungeon for a little bit, just to hear John speak, and it seems like he actually enjoyed it some of the times. But he didn't change. This was like a, a superficial time with John that he had. Because there was no change, there was no repentance in Herod. He kept John alive and he would listen to him speak. Uh, verse 21 starts to get really interesting here. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chiefest states of Galilee. So the Romans, they would have crazy birthday parties. And they would feature all kinds of wickedness. And Herod here, we have this record of him having one of these birthday parties for himself. Um, we see him inviting lots of men to this party. I mean, it almost seems like a, a bachelor's party here where, where it's all men at this party. We have powerful and authoritative people. We have the political elite at this party. We have upper-level tax collectors. We have high-ranking military commanders. So he kind of has this who, who's who birthday party for himself with all these high-profile people. It's, it's not a wholesome party at all. Verse 22 tells us, And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in, and danced, and pleased Herod, and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. So Herod has his own stepdaughter. That's who this, this girl was. Uh, it was Herodias' daughter. I believe history tells us her name was Salome. But he has her come to this party and has her dance for them. And not, I mean, this is, I guess to put it mildly, this is dirty dancing going on here. Uh, it was erotic, provocative dance. And it pleased Herod and his friends. And this is a, a sensual, pleasing type of way, just to lightly paint this picture of what's going on here. Not, not, a, not a great birthday party. Uh, lots of wickedness going on. And, and him and his friends really liked what was going on. So we have Herod here in, in his drunkenness offering a ridiculous present to reward her for his dancing. So he really liked what was going on, offers her this, this reward, verse 23 tells us, and he swear unto her, whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto half of my kingdom. And we see here Herod thinking a little more highly of himself than he should because it wasn't his kingdom. He was watching over it for the Romans. So the Romans had authority here, but we have him acting here like he's the king and he owns everything and whatever you want, I'll give you up to half of it, telling his stepdaughter. So Herod, motivated by pride and perversion, makes an offer and takes an oath that his guest here and he binds himself to whatever his stepdaughter wishes for. And he really had very little authority to, to do whatever or to give her. If she was to ask for, okay, give me half your kingdom. He could not have, have done that because it wasn't his. 
So it was limited what she could ask for and what she could actually get. She had been talking with, with her mother, her wicked mother, verse 24, and she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. So she asks her wicked mother what to ask for, and she says, Ask for the head of John. And she doesn't even hesitate with that request. She hurries and she goes back to Herod. I'm guessing before he sobers up and gets into somewhat of right mind that he might have had. But she gets out of there, runs back to Herod to ask. Doesn't even hesitate. I mean, that's a big deal. That's, you're extremely perverted mentally if you're willing to go ask for someone's head given to you on a, a plate. I mean, that's not okay, right? So she's willing to do that. But just in my mind, I wonder how much she had heard her mom talk bad about this just, holy man that was in the dungeon. Do you think her mom helped that, that hate grow for John? Where, where she was willing to say, okay, yeah, I'll go ask for his head. I'll do that gruesome, horrific, awful thing. And stepping away from the story... Um, just be, be careful how you talk about other people to your kids or, or what you say about uh, people in authority to your children. Be careful with that. Now, this is me assuming here that her mother had did this. But it really smacked me in the face because our, our kids are listening. And it's so easy to talk bad about their teachers or, let's say, their pastor or, you know, people in authority over them. And, and your kids can get this, this hate for somebody, this, this unjust hate. So we, we have Herodias, the daughter of Herodias here, willing to go and ask Herod for the head of John the Baptist. Verse 25, And she came in straightway with haste unto the king. So we see her hurrying there. And asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger of the head, or sorry, the head of John the Baptist. So she hurries back to Herod. She asks for John's head on a platter. And it's like this request catches Herod off guard. Because verse 26 says, And the king was exceedingly sorry, because we know he didn't want to kill John because he feared the people and because he feared who John was. So we have him being sorry here. Yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. So he had made this, this oath in front of all these, these high-profile people. And one of the factors that factored into his decision to actually go ahead and chop off John's head was that he feared the people around him. Was it right for him to chop off John's head? Was he just in doing that? No. Should he have done that? No. I don't care what he said. He should not have murdered John, humanly speaking. But he's scared of the people around him, not wanting to lose face with these high-profile people so he says, okay, I won't deny you. Do it. 
Verse 27, And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. So Herod was was kind of sorry here. His, his fear was of being embarrassed in front of these people, in front of his, his friends here. But he goes ahead, he has John executed. He had regret, but there was no repentance. He would carry out her wish to keep from being humiliated. Herod had this authority. Remember he had this authority for capital punishment within his region? So he goes ahead and, and he uses it. And at his word, John is martyred. John was beheaded. Just consider who John was. Matthew eleven eleven, the words of Jesus, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. That's the man that Herod had his head chopped off at the whim of his stepdaughter. Because that's what her mother said that she should do. John was martyred. John was beheaded. John was executed. And I know this was a long time ago. And I know we're familiar. We know, okay, John was, John was martyred. John was beheaded. But I want you to think about this is a real true life story that really happened. Can you imagine this, this guy walking down the stairs to the dungeon and, and chopping off? this holy just man's head, this great prophet, this forerunner for Christ, this happened because of sinful people, because of a scared man. John was executed. Verse 28, And he brought his head in a charger, and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. Why, why would they want his head? Well, why couldn't they just say kill him and do away with it? Because it's pretty gruesome to think of walking around with a guy's head in a, in a plate or a bowl. And they would do that often so you would know that the person you said to kill was actually killed. But, but there's record of um, down the road, we, we have a man who was, who was executed because a, a woman didn't like what he was saying and she took his head and she pulled out his, his tongue and stabbed his tongue with her hairpin. Just the, I mean, you can see the hatred of that. And I'm not saying that's what Herodias did here, but, but you can see, you can see the, the hatred for this man, for speaking right, for doing what God wanted him to do, we see him being hated and we see him being executed. And then verse 29, And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Imagine that for his disciples, the ones who had been following him and ministering with him. They had to go get the body of this, this man that they loved, this headless body. And they, they walked out and placed it in a tomb. I mean, they could see the, the faithfulness that, that the man that they were ministering with, they saw 
that he truly believed in, in the cause that, that he was promoting, that he truly believed in the Lord and he was faithful to speak his truth unto his death. They could see that, but just the, the heartache of this had to shake up their, their lives a little bit. And in all of this, what really, a couple of things jumped out to me was this man operating in fear and how dangerous that is. We saw the verse from Proverbs that operating in fear uh, leads to a snare. We also see that, that we, can, we can trust in the Lord, as John did, and that worked out for his safety. And you say, what are you talking about? He got his head chopped off. How is that safety? Well, he was safely with God after that. And we think of all the martyrs throughout history and the people, the people suffering persecution in, in foreign countries and, and in places, even in America, people standing for, for Christ will face persecution. But we see all these people getting ridiculed and persecuted, and Christ said that would come. It should not be a surprise. But there is still safety in that. Because our safety is not just, is not just temporal. God is so much bigger than the temporal. And, and I don't like hearing about people getting executed or, or people getting martyred or people dying for their faith. I, I don't like thinking about that. I don't like thinking about something like that happening to my family. But the case is, is that God is still alive and God is still on His throne and God is still faithful to those people. Even in death, God is faithful. And I think about my dad and on his, his deathbed, those last few days praying that God would take him home because it was so awful and it was so bad. And I was asking my friends to pray that God would take my dad, things I never thought I would, words I never thought would come out of my mouth. But it was so much better to be freed from that, that pain, to be with his Savior in heaven. Now that's better even if you're, you're healthy and strong. Be with Jesus. But God has a purpose and God has a plan for us here. And as long as we have breath, we should be faithful to God. But just because death comes does not mean that God is not faithful. Because God is faithful. And, and God is good. And there is safety even in death with God. And I'm so thankful that we have a God that we can, we can trust in and we can rest in and we can put full confidence and faith and trust in. Whether we like our situation or not, God is perfect and God is holy and God is just. And we can completely trust in Him. We do not need to live this life in fear. We can trust and we can rest in God. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for this time that we have together, and I thank you that uh, even in tragedy or seeming tragedy, we can rest in you and we can, we can trust in you, knowing that you are greater than any struggle that we may face. I thank you for, uh, for the way that you work. I thank you for who you are. I pray that you will 
strengthen our faith and our confidence in you and that we will have a view of you where we understand we can trust in you no matter what. You're so much greater than any God we can imagine, than any God that we can create in our minds, than any God that we think you should be. You're so much greater than that. And I pray that you will please help us to focus on, on who you are and how great you truly are and that we will just surrender and that we will commit ourselves to you and the plan that you have for our lives. Please help us to not operate in fear, but to operate in faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.